But we are in the Advent season celebrating the coming to earth of the most significant figure in all of human history, Jesus Christ. The Old Testament prophet said he would be called Emmanuel, God with us. And that's exactly what happened for 33 and a half years as the Son of God came to earth and lived among us, fully God, fully man. We're in a sermon series entitled Messages from the Manger, and last week we discovered that the fact that Jesus was born in a manger is a symbol that he is available to all of us, not just to the politically elite, but to everyone, because the Bible says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Can I get an amen from somebody? Now today, we're going to listen closely to the silent symbols surrounding the manger. Although there are many, we're going to zero in on just two things present at the manger that would speak to us the gospel in its entirety very loudly and speak to the purpose for which Jesus came. Let's begin by talking about the shepherds. If we can, if you have your Bibles, it's in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. The Bible says, In that same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The glory. Uh, the Bible says, And the angel said to them, Notice how the angel recognizes their state. The angel says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you that you'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. There is a lot to be said about the fact that common everyday shepherds were there to be the first to worship him. Certainly, they were the most common of all uh, occupations, and they were probably representative of most of the socioeconomic status of the people of that day. And this does speak to the wide appeal that Jesus has to everyone. The Bible didn't say this is good news to some of the people. It said this is good news to all the people. But the presence of the shepherds at the manger Speak even loud, it speaks even louder to us about the future this baby would experience as a man. See, Jesus' ministry would be that of a shepherd. In the Old Testament, we go to the most famous psalm written the most, by the most famous of psalmists, David. Psalm 23, he says, The Lord is my shepherd. Think about that. David knew what a shepherd was. He himself was a shepherd. He understood the passion the shepherd had for the sheep, the deep value he placed on everyone. He understood the willingness of the shepherd to put himself in harm's way as he had done in defeating both a lion and a bear with his bare hands to protect the sheep. So when David describes the Lord and his, as his relationship to him, he says, the Lord, Yahweh, in Hebrew, is my shepherd. 
A shepherd takes care of the sheep at all times. Sheep are helpless without the shepherd. And David says, Lord, I'm helpless without you. The shepherd leads the sheep. He feeds the sheep. He protects the sheep from harm. Now fast forward to the New Testament in Matthew chapter 15, where Jesus said, I am sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What's he saying? I'm a shepherd. In Luke 15, Jesus teaches one of the most famous of his parables about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. But that shepherd so desperately values that one sheep that he will leave the 90 and 9 and go find that one lost sheep and not give up until he finds it and brings it home. Perfectly describing God's love for every single one. Now let's fast forward over to Luke chapter 10 and listen to Jesus' description of himself. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And then he says again, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I laid down my life for the sheep. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, and as intimately as my Father knows me and I know my Father, I know every one of my sheep. And I value them so much that I'm not going to run when the wolf shows up. Listen to me. Jesus is saying, I'm your shepherd. That's what he was during his earthly ministry. But the good news is his ministry is still going on today as he shepherds every soul of every one of his sheep. And he values just like the shepherd does every one of his sheep so much that if just one of us run off, if just one of us runs away, he's not going to stop until he brings us home again. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for a shepherd that loves each and every individual one of us that much that he will go after us and his grace will pursue us. Jesus said, I'm not a hireling. What's he saying? I'm not going to cut and run when it gets difficult. When the wolves start circling around you, I'm not going to run to save myself. I'm going to stand there and I'm going to fight for you. I'm grateful that the shepherd Jesus is the one who still fights our battles and who still runs off the wolves in the middle of the night. I'm grateful that when times get hard, my Savior, my shepherd doesn't run. He doesn't hide, but he stands his ground. And when the morning comes, the wolf is run off and the sheep are still there. Why? Because Jesus is the good shepherd. How many of you are grateful that Jesus is the shepherd of your soul? The shepherd's being present only spoke to his ministry that he himself would be the shepherds of the souls of those who follow him. Jesus went on to say, and I laid down my life. Another case of Jesus says, no man takes my life. I lay it down. By an act of his will, the shepherd would become the lamb. See, his ministry is that of a shepherd, but his mission was that 
of the sacrificial lamb. Revelations, as a matter of fact, calls him the lamb of God slain from the foundation of the earth. The truth is, the beauty of the manger was always in the shadow of the brutality of the cross. This little baby would become the man who would carry the cross for all humanity. At the very moment he was born, the mission that took him to the cross began. That's why his coming was good news of great joy. Because not only do we have a shepherd, we have a savior because he became the lamb. The angel said, the savior is born. When Joseph, the earthly custodial father of Jesus, was having his doubts about this ready-made family he was about to take on, the Lord visits him, and the messenger from God says, don't be worried about what's in Mary's womb. It's conceived of the Holy Spirit. And make sure, Joseph, you call this boy Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. What's cool is the word Jesus, Yahshua, means Yahweh is salvation. Now look at how John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, the cousin of Jesus, he was in the wilderness before Jesus' earthly ministry, and he was preaching the doctrine of repentance, that man is inherently sinful, we need to repent, and he was baptizing people in water, telling us our sins needed to be washed away. As John is there baptizing people to repentance, who would show up but Jesus? And John says, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. The writing of Scripture concerning Jesus is so perfect that the word used for lamb, amnos, in the Greek means not just any young sheep, but the sacrificial lamb. That was verbiage the Jews could understand because every year lambs were sacrificed unto the Lord by the high priest to cover the sins of the people. And John says, but listen, he takes away. The words there means he lifts off of us our deepest moral failures and our sinful deeds. He took those upon himself and he took them to the cross. He comes and he lifts off of us the things which only bring us guilt, the things which cause us shame, the things that cause us to loathe our existence sometimes. When we think about how good we want to be and how bad we can be, Jesus came to lift those bad things off of us and take them upon himself and carry them to the cross. And there, the spotless, sacrificial lamb of Jesus, Jesus, the lamb of God, would be sacrificed. And the sins of all those who believe upon him are forgiven and we are forever free. I am grateful that Jesus' ministry is that of a shepherd, but his mission was that of a lamb. Wow. Now, there's a school of thought that's pretty interesting about these shepherds. It's told in the Mishnah, which is referred to as the Oral Torah. The Mishnah is a collection of writings of the oral traditions and, and stories passed on by the Jews. 
And the Mishnah in history introduces us to the concept of Levitical shepherds, priestly shepherds, and that these priestly, these shepherds that showed up the night Jesus was born were not just mere shepherds, but they were actually the priestly shepherds that maintained or shepherded the flocks of sheep that produced the spotless lambs for sacrifice. That's pretty cool. If it's true, I mean, I feel like I'm testifying before Congress when I can say I can neither confirm nor deny, but I can't tell you if that's true or not. If it is, it's really cool, and it really plays in perfectly to the narrative. But you know what I've learned about the Christmas story? It doesn't need anyone else's endorsement. It doesn't need any embellishment. It is perfect just the way it is. But the fact is, those shepherds that were there that night, whether they be common shepherds or Levitical shepherds, they speak to the ministry of Jesus as a shepherd and the mission of Jesus as the lamb. Let's move from the shepherds to the swaddling cloths. The angels include a distinct detail. Now, I don't know if angels have gender or not. But if they do, these were obviously female angels and not male angels. Because the male angel message would have been like, hey, he's over there in the barn. Find him. <laughs> so, so if they have gender, these had to be female angels because they were detail-oriented. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you know that women are more detail-oriented than men? If my wife were not so detail-oriented, my life would implode on itself. Okay? I'm a big-picture guy. I'm going to reach for this guy. i got the big concept in mind. She sees every little detail. And I thank God for that because it matches really well. It works really well. Uh, she really helps me on Sunday mornings with details, getting me ready to get here. And what's, uh, what, what's cool about that is when my wife has been up before me and seen a news story, I don't have to watch the news because she tells me what she's seen in detail. She, it, she just captures it. I don't know how she does it. I just want to know how much it costs. You know? None of the rest of it. Just, just give me that one fact I need as a man. Let me simplify this down to something I can understand. And, but she has an eye for details. And the angels are very much like that. The angels go to this extent. They say, good tidings of great joy. A Savior is born to you today. You would think that was big enough news. But they go to this detail and they say, and this shall be a sign to you that you will find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger. Some versions say you'll find the baby wrapped in cloths. Some say strips of cloth. I chose the ESV because it has the word swaddling, and that satisfies my alliteration addiction. I needed an S word to go with shepherds, and swaddling was as good as I could get. Okay? Just being honest. In Bible times, swaddling cloths were strips of cloth tied together like bandage with bandage-type strips. When a baby was born, the first thing they did was cut the umbilical cord. Now, this happens about age 26 in modern day. Okay? Because we have what's called snowflake kids and helicopter parents. Right? 
I mean, they're watching every detail to the color socks that kid wears, and he's, he's going to college now, and you want to look at that mom or that dad and say, hey, cut the cord. Let the kid live a little bit. Let them make the decision of what color socks they want to wear today. Okay? But then the cord was cut when the baby was born. It's interesting what else they did. They washed the baby, obviously, for obvious reasons, right? They washed the baby. Then they took salt and oil, and they rubbed the baby down, and then they wrapped them in those strips of cloths, those swaddling cloths. It was a custom on that day. Now, a couple of theories concerning, again, backstories that could play into this. One of them is found in the Mishnah. And the Mishnah that talks about the handling of the sacrificial lamb, the spotless lamb, says when they recognize that spotless lamb is born, then they would wrap that lamb in cloths to protect its purity. That's cool. Don't know if it's true. It's just cool. Some things preach really well. You need to make sure it's in the Bible, okay? Now, the second theory has to do with the burial of a Jewish person. A Jew, to be honored and keep with Jewish tradition, must be buried within 24 hours of when they die. Else it's an abomination. It's a real insult. So there's a custom, they say, that when they would take journeys, and the journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem and those conditions took between four and six days. My mind fails me on the exact time, but within that period. So when a family or a group of people would take a journey that lasted more than a day, they would wrap around their waist cloths in case someone were to die along the way and they couldn't reach their destination, they could still ceremonially bury them properly on their journey. Now, I got to thinking, what about modern day if mom and dad and the kids were going to Disney World? Dad just come from the heart doctor and mom says, hey, kids, don't forget your burial claws. We're going to be riding some roller coasters. You know, dad's ticker's not that great. So we can bury him at Disney if it goes down, okay? What a morbid thought it would be every time you take a trip to pack something just in case somebody don't make it, you know? So if either one of these traditions be true, they both just complement the story. But here's the thing. With or without those endorsements, these swaddling claws spoke to the death of Jesus. Understand as when a baby was washed and rubbed down with salt and oil and wrapped in cloths, when a Jewish person would die, they too would be wrapped, or they would be, they would be wiped down in oils and spices and wrapped in cloths. So these are not the last time that, that the Scripture is going to talk about these cloths in the life of Jesus. Look at John 19 and 40. Joseph of Arimathea and his... Um, and his closet follower uh, of Jesus, Nicodemus, they come to get the body of Jesus after he's been crucified. And the Bible says, so they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices as the burial custom of the Jews. They bound him in what? Linen cloths. While it may have been a custom to swaddle babies of that day, keep in mind this was no ordinary baby and it would not be the last time the Scripture talked about his body being wrapped in cloths. It's interesting that at his birth, the Scripture mentions the cloths. At his death, the Scripture mentions the cloths. But good news is, this is not the last time we see the reference to the cloths on the body of Jesus. The angels said to the shepherds, 
when you find the claws, you'll find the baby. But when the disciples go to the tomb after Jesus had been buried, they find the cloth, but no Jesus. John 20, both of them were running together. This is Peter and John. Now, I picture John as the disciple that worked out, you know, drank protein shakes for breakfast. He's, in, he's fit. He's going to the gym all the time. And then there's a guy like me, Peter. He just didn't care. And they start off, the Bible says, watch this, both of them were running together, but that didn't last long. <laughs> Because Peter started having to make oxygen choices. Okay? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the, what? Linen claws lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him, and this is just like me too. He went straight, straight into the tomb. He didn't care about the rules. He was going to see for himself. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on, the, on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed, for they yet did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. When they found him in the cloths, he was the baby in a manger. But when they came to the tomb, the cloths removed spoke of his resurrection. His sacrificial death was silently symbolized by those swaddling cloths. But there was just a sense in the manger that day that these cloths would be important in the future. But there would come a time when he would no longer be swaddled and he would no longer be bound. Because don't forget, this baby was and still is the king of glory, and he's not in the claws any longer. He surrendered his life unto death for our salvation, but then under his own power and authority, resurrected himself three days later, fold up the nap, folded up the napkin that was on his face, and is alive forevermore, and said, Behold, I have the keys of death and of hell, and because Jesus came, lived, died, and rose again, Again, not only do we have the promise of salvation, but eternal life is now a part of our existence. Wow to think about. But just with the shepherds and the swaddling claws, the ministry and mission of Jesus was spelled out perfectly. Wow. The baby in a manger became the man on a cross who under his own authority would vacate the tomb and had such presence of mind that he would fold up the napkin that was over his head and say, it's finished. It's finished. Wow. There's another tradition about that folded napkin. And that is in Jewish custom that people would eat and as long as they were still eating, their napkin would not be folded up, but it would be there being used. But when they were finished, they would wrap that napkin up and place it down saying, I'm done. I believe when Jesus rose from the grave, 
He folded the napkin and said, I'm done, and you can't undo it. You hear what I'm telling you? I'm done, and you'll never be able to undo what I've done. Jesus' mission is accomplished. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is delivered. Sin has given way to salvation and guilt to grace. Stress has given way to peace. Death has been defeated and given up to victory. What does this mean? Tell you what it means. I can have relationship with him in this life and I can live immediately in his presence in the life to come. So says the shepherds and the swaddling cloths. And the only thing I need to do to access that promise is to simply believe. Believe. There's a lot of stuff out there to believe today. But do you know there always has been? That this, um, this protected bowl of America that we grew up in is not the way the world's always been. There's always been many religions. There's always been many man-made gods and theories about who God is. But there's only one that says God so loved us that he came and lived among us so that we could have relationship with him and he with us. And know us as intimately as a shepherd does his sheep and as God the Father knows God the Son. Do you know no other earthly religion invites you into a relationship with its founder? None other but Christian faith. All other religions say there's no way. We're too finite and the idea of God is too infinite. But Christianity makes it simple. Hopefully, when we don't add all our stuff to it, we just say, by believing in your heart, by believing in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead and confessing with your mouth he's the Christ, the Son of God, you have relationship with him here, and eternity is no longer a mystery but a reality for the child of God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, everyone, please, please do that with us, if you would. I want to give you a simple invitation to change your life forever. Right where you are, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to understand something. He did everything he did just for you. As Christians, we don't believe that Christmas is about us. We believe it's about Jesus. But do you know from heaven's perspective, it's about you and it's about me. And God loving us so much that Jesus came to be the shepherd and the lamb. If you want to surrender your life to his love today, can I see you raise your hand right where you are? Thank you for raising those hands up high. I appreciate that. Some of you have been following Jesus for some time. And yet you feel a renewed sense of commitment to him and you want to rededicate your life to Jesus today. Could I see you raise your hand where you are? Hands going up all around the room. Thank you for those hands. Everybody, please pray this prayer with me if you would. Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to live among us, 
to die for us and to rise again. I believe in my heart he is the resurrected Lord. I confess with my mouth he's your son. And today I make your son my Savior and my Lord forever, forever and ever in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's give God a shout of praise in the house as people have just surrendered their life to Jesus Christ.